We're in our part three of our portraits of faith. Now, we are dealing with and just kind of tracking through. We're not getting all of them because we don't have enough time to do it. But we are tracking through and grabbing some of these heroes of faith that the New Testament writer of Hebrews looked back to the Old Testament people and grabbed these acts of faith to show us what it means to live by faith in this new covenant. And so as we looked at Abraham, we looked at Noah, and then today, as your bulletin says, we're going to be looking at Moses' parents. How many know it? sometimes it takes some faith to be a parent today? Any parents know that? All right, anybody that doesn't have children say, okay, why did I come? This is a parenting deal. No, it's not. This is about taking your role in your generation to make sure the next generation is impacted. And whether you have children of your own or not, you have that responsibility, okay? So do not punch out on me if you say, hey, guy, I don't have any kids. Um, I, I, you don't need to talk to me on this one. No, this, is, this includes all of us, all right? So let's jump into our notes. It says, <clears throat> faith is simply taking God at his word and living our lives trusting that God is trustworthy. I've still got a bit of a ring. That is why knowing God better and trusting him more is so vital. Remember, our core piece of our vision is that ultimately we're wanting to help people to know God better and to trust him more. Folks, that's living a life of trusting God, of faith. That is a life of faith. That is what we are about. And ultimately, you need to understand that this is important because we are hard, hardwired to begin to move towards what we in our core believe. We can have a lot of stuff going on in our head, but whatever we in our core believe, we are hardwired to move in that direction. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I got uh, one of these little forwarded email things. And so I normally, folks, I'm sorry, most of those I trash, okay? But this one, for some reason, looked interesting to me, and so I opened it. And... Uh, and so I opened it, and it was showing, and it had about us being just hardwired for something. And uh, anyways, it gave this little thing to do. So I find myself at my desk at the office trying to do this. And it says to take your right foot and to make uh, clockwise circles, okay? So if you walk in and you see me doing something odd, I'm probably getting ready for a message, okay? You know, that's Brandon's not just spazzing out in the office. And so, and I, so move your right foot in a clockwise motion, and then with your right hand, draw in the air a six. Oh, see? Do you see, you see my foot? You try to draw in the, in the air a six, which goes counterclockwise to make a six. Then your foot, your right foot, will begin to whoop, reverse directions. It'll begin to reverse directions. And so I kind of, uh, in a bit of a punk to my kids, I, I told them I'd give them, any of them five bucks if they could do it. And man, I'm telling you, most of them realized, okay, this is not a, this isn't a, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to sit around and look like a moron all day. And so, but Weston has enough of his daddy in him. He doesn't care about looking like a moron all day. And so, and uh, anyways, and so, man, I'm telling you, he worked it and worked it. He keep, he'd come to me, daddy, I got it. I did it. I want the $5. Like, you have to show me. No, I did it. You have to, come on, dad. I did it. 
And so he would show me. I'm telling you, he was working it all sorts of ways. He was going super slow, these big circles. He was making sixes like this. And I mean, just all these crazy ways. I'm like, son, you are t- so cheating. You can't be doing that. You got to do this. Hold your arm straight. Well, he worked and worked and worked. And uh, anyways, I ought to give him the $5 just for being tenacious and trying as long as he, oh, wow, somebody's seconding that. All right, Rooster, five bucks is yours, buddy. Did I already give it to you? Well, good for me. Awesome. I'm a better dad than I thought. Wow. Well, good for me. I'm nor- I normally don't do that. Like, punk, you didn't earn it. You're not getting it. What was I thinking? I had a weak moment. Um, but anyways, you're, that is just, it's just hardwired. You're, there's just this coordination thing, or possibly with me a lack of coordination or something, but it just, it just works. Now, there's probably some freak drummer in here who can do it right now. And um, <laughs> he's not here to hear me say that. And uh, anyways, but we're that way with, our, with what we believe. We're hardwired. You can try to go against the grain on the core of what you believe. And folks, it's just not going to work. You're going to gravitate back every time to the core of what you believe. That is why we hold this up as the truth over and over and over again. That is why I remind you that as long as we are breathing in and out on this planet, that we have not expired yet that we are living in a place where there are two realities. God said that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life. And he totally points to where it is. Choose life. Why? Because there are two things. There is life and there is death. There's blessing and cursing. There's sickness and health. There's all. There's, there's, there's plenty and there's lack. There are these different things. And we have to follow God's word as the truth to live in the life. So that is why we put the word of God in us so that it becomes our truth and it becomes our default. So we constantly become to gravitate towards that instead of the other. Okay? So we have to understand that there is this battle within us and we're hardwired for that. Now, so let's look here at what Moses' parents did in faith. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. If you're not familiar with this story out of Exodus, we read it just, just not long ago if you're reading through the Bible with us. But this story is, is that um, the Israelites were in, in captivity in Egypt and they had grown so big, so numerous, that the Egyptians, their slave masters, were afraid of there being a revolt. And so they began to try to deal with the population and they really didn't want boys that growing up to be men so the king's edict said that all of the baby boys needed to be killed so if a child was born it was a it was a boy kill it if it was a girl let it live moses was born during this time whenever the rule was that he was not supposed to live that by king's command he was supposed to die now moses's parents they already had two older children. We'll get to them in a, little, in a minute. That weren't born during that time period. This was a new command. So they were allowed to live. And Moses comes along and his parents saw that he was no ordinary child. And they hid him. They acted like he wasn't even around. Why? Because they didn't want the, the king's soldiers or whoever to come in and do it. See, Moses' parents saw 
that he was no ordinary child. See, what they saw, I believe, is they recognized God's image in him. They saw the image of God in him. When we go back to Genesis, we understand that all of us, humanity was created in the image of God. All of us were. And there are these things in our lives that will reflect who God is. Those, these pieces, this image of God. And his parents would not, would not back off of it. Let's look at Genesis 1.26. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our not likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And his mama saw that this was no regular little boy. I tell you what, I don't think that in the scheme of things, I don't think that is a, was a special instinct just for Moses' mama. I think there's something in every mama. I think there's something in there that looks at their kids and sees something in them that maybe nobody else on the planet sees yet. Something of the potential of God, something of the image of God. And when we recognize that, I'm telling you, it is our responsibility, whether it's in our own child or in somebody else's child or possibly in a generation as a whole, it is our responsibility. It's a big word, folks, and I'm not throwing it around lightly. It is our responsibility to help nurture that and to bring that out. That is what his parents did. Now, Thomas Edison, we're thankful for these lights that are on in here. We're thankful for the, the moving picture on the screen. First one was, was Edison's invention. I mean, just a brilliant man, okay? But early on in his life, early on in his life, his mama got a mean, hateful note from his teacher. And this is what this just straight-up blunt note that was sent to Thomas Edison's mother said, said, your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him, period. That was the note. That was it. Other people on the outside that were looking at him, dealing with him in education, dealing with him on these things, did not see. Maybe he learned different. Maybe he was a step ahead of that teacher. I, I, I don't know. There was something going on that this teacher did not recognize and began immediately to file Thomas Edison away. But his mama saw something in him that that teacher did not see. And she wrote back, you do not understand my boy. You don't read him the way I read him. You don't see what I see. I will teach him myself. And she did it. And the results of that are well known to this day. That the gospel is going forth based on some of the inventions that that gifted individual made <clears throat> see we have to be sure that that we find and we look for the image of god in people now one of my roles that i have begun to honestly embrace um a little more um as i as i grow as a minister i, I don't enjoy funerals by any means um but I've begun to embrace them as a ministry opportunity. And I've gotten called in, thankfully, because of a lot of y'all have, have, aren't 
your families aren't part of church. Y'all weren't part of churches prior to being connected with us, and so extended family isn't active in churches. And, and I got called in on a number of funerals that I had no idea who this person was. I never met them when they were alive. I, had, I did not know them. And so and, the, and got the privilege of being able to do their funeral. And I get to know this person by interviewing their loved ones and finding out the stories and finding out all of these different things. And I have found that, and I've run into it, because these people are not church people, I've had family say, okay, we don't want you, we don't want you preaching. Okay. Fine, no problem. And, uh, you know, no altar calls, no none of that. I honor that. I'm just here to serve you all. And I have found that, man, I can just straight up share God and Jesus with people. Why? Because I've understood this, that everyone, I don't care if they were a booger head all their lives, everyone was created in the image of God. And somewhere, their life reflects that. In their sweet moments with their family, and these tender spots that show up, and that side of them that nobody but their closest people see, the image of God that is there pokes through. And so I'm able to, in interview, find that out. And then as we do the funeral, I just talk about how God is this, and this person showed it, and this in their life, and this in their life, and then that God is this, and this person showed it, and this in there. And I just talk about God the whole time, and this person is the illustration. And, man, they don't bother them one bit at all. It doesn't bother them one bit at all. Man, I'm just quoting scripture. I'm just all over the place. Why? Because I'm sitting there and, and talking about the image, the thing that they loved, that endeared them. You ever find the run into the lady? Maybe you're just like, why does she stay with that individual? He is abusive. He is mean. He's left bruises on her. And over and over again, she will say, but you don't know him like I know him. He's not always this way. There are these sweet things. There are these things. And it's those image of God. And she's just so in love with. And it just keeps her full and, and hoping that they'll embrace the life of God and allow that to truly be lived out. Now, if we don't embrace Christ, it really can't be lived out to its fullness. But all of us, every person is created with the image of God. And we have to do that. Moses' mama saw it. And she would not give up on it. Moses' daddy saw it and would not give up on it. Let's look at Luke 2. It says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. <clears throat> when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. But Mary, she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. She thought about them. She meditated on them. She was his greatest advocate. She was there all the way and was there at, the, at his feet at the cross. She was there playing her role in, in helping him to be who he came in the world to be. We also see that Moses' parents were not controlled by fear due to their circumstances. I'm telling you, a lot of times as a parent, and then looking at the, at the world as a whole, I'm telling you, sometimes fear can come in and grip. Man, things are going a little haywire. Things are this, or the kids are this, or whatever. We cannot be controlled by fear. 2 Timothy 1 says, For God has not given us 
the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, this thing that rises within us, we're familiar with it called the, the fight or flight instinct. We, we run into a, a, a situation, and some people naturally come out swinging, and other people go, whoop, I'm gone. And uh, they're, they're, out, they're out of here. And uh, some of the funniest places to see that exhibited is uh, my kids like to watch uh, America's Funniest Videos. And uh, you ever watch it where somebody gets the great idea to scare somebody? And they're like, my favorite one is some guy's dressed up as like a scarecrow or something at Halloween, and he's in a lawn chair on this porch. And he's been just sitting there, and he, people have been coming up to ring the doorbell, and he's been jumping up. And over and over again, people just Wah! scream, and they run off that front porch, and they're just, they're just gone. Well, man, he, he hit the laws of probability. He, he messed up. Because <laughs> it's fight or flight, and he's bound to run into somebody. Who's going to throw punches? And sure enough, he, raw, and this guy, pow. I mean, didn't even think, didn't even analyze. I mean, just right square in his face. And he just, he's just out cold. He's just laying there. I mean, he's not, oh, my gosh, my no. And he's just gone. He's just out. And that thing is within us. And when the things of life come up, we're going to, if we're controlled by fear, we're going to do one of those things. We're either want, going to run away and get away from this situation and, and, and get away from it, or we're going to just come out swinging blindly and not necessarily calculating on what's going on. If he had a thought for a minute, he would have realized, okay, scarecrows aren't real. You know, this is just a joke. Da, 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 you know, okay, guy, that's not funny. He, he could have, but he wasn't. He, rah, and boom. And, you know, it, it was, the guy was hurt. And we can't, we can't default one way or the other. We cannot be controlled by fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Now, we look at this because when we see what his parents did, that they were made sure and they hid him for the three months, but they couldn't hide him forever. And I love this because they were not afraid of the king's edict. I love that because where do they purposely put him? On purpose, they put him, and I don't have it for you, I'm sorry. And uh, they put him in, Exod in Exodus chapter 2. They put him right there in the king's house. And see, and she had hid him for a while. And then we look in verse 3 of Exodus 2, it says, But when she could hide him no longer, this is his mama, she got a papyrus basket for him, and she coated it with tar and pitch. If it was making a movie, this is the build sequence, right? Where there's cool music, and she's out there with the tar, and putting it on, MacGyvering it all up. And uh, this is the cool movie build sequence of the movie. So she's making the little thing. And it says, and then she placed the child in it. Now, if you've watched The Prince of Egypt, the movie opens up, and here's the baby, and he's going down the Nile, and it's being whooshed and bumping into ships, and this hippo comes up and throws it around. And yeah, that makes cool cinema. But that is not what it did. She didn't just go, oh, God, please take care of my little baby Moses and turn him loose and, you know, and walk away. That is not what she did. Look what it says she did. It says, and she put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She nestled it along the reeds where it's not going to float away. And where does it happen to be in her? And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Leaves little sister, older sister as a spy, hiding over there to see what goes on. And guess where 
she placed it right there where the Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe. And sure enough, oh my, I've come out for a bath. What could that basket be? Oh, servants, please go get that basket for me. I am so curious what is in the basket. Oh, princess, it is but a child. You know, I mean, this is what she's mama knows. It's totally going to play out. And guess what plays out? That exact sequence. She, uh, she's not afraid. Of, she knows the best place for her baby boy that's full of the image and potential of God. The safest place is right there in that king's household. The king that ordered her baby's death. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't operating in fear. She, if she was fierce, she'd either go up and try to whoop the king or get as far away as she could. But she was calculating. And she was preserving and she put him right there in the safest place and was adopted and taken care of by the, by the, and grew up in the king's household. I mean, that is just incredibly amazingly <laughs> such a step of faith for any parent to do. See, Romans 8 says, For you <clears throat> did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. We have sonship, not fear, sonship. <clears throat> John 12 says, At the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for their fear, <clears throat> for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Here they are, believing, they're seeing Jesus in the flesh, seeing the miracles, they believe in him. But then this fear of being put out of the synagogue, which is basically becoming a social pariah. That was the center of life, being, being, being pushed out of, of, of everything in life. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't go ahead and declare their faith in Christ. Psalms 23, we quoted one earlier. Am I still on? Okay. All right. Our sound system is out up here. You can see there's no lights. Could somebody please check that out? Thanks. We're going to need that at the end. <laughs> um, but Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod and his staff, what is that? That is God's leading. That is God's leading. It brings comfort. It is this place where we don't have any fear when we're allowing the Holy Spirit of God to be our guide, to be our shepherd. Then the third thing as we wrap up here is that we see what Moses' parents did is by faith they took action to preserve Moses so that he could fulfill his assignment. We already got to the place where that we see that he's, he's there hidden, He's there doing all that. Now, I want you to understand the rest of the story. They see all this potential in Moses. She sees him growing up. She, she is allowed to be his nursemaid. They, it was so structured that then uh, Miriam, his sister, goes and gets Mama to be able to, to nurse him and keep him alive. And so she gets to continue to be his caretaker and in his life. I mean, it's just got worked out so beautifully at some point. That was over. He's weaned, it's, it's, and Mama has to step back and watch from a distance. And she's just so full of these things and, and sees him growing up. He has a passion for his people. And we see that when he is 40, 
He's grown up all this time and he's watching his fellow man being abused. Why does he have this connection? Because his mama, she was holding him and taking care of him. She spoke the truth to him. Don't you forget you're a Hebrew. Don't you forget that the God of creation has preserved you. Don't forget that there is an assignment on your life. There's a, you're in this deal with the Pharaoh. There's going to be a lot of temptation. Don't you forget who you are. And he grew up for 40 years in that place. And finally, he just got so indignant. And he sees one of his fellow <coughs> Hebrews being abused. And he attacks the Egyptian that does it. To the point that his rage is unleashed so intensely that he kills the man. And then hides him, hides his body in the sand and tries to cover it up. So now Moses has become a murderer. He tries to play it off. Nobody's around. I'm, we can roll with this. He goes in and sees two of his fellow Hebrews just going at it. He's like, look, we've got enough pressure from the Egyptians. Don't be doing this to each other. I'm like, what? You're going to kill us too like you did the Egyptian? He's like, oh, my goodness. Everybody knows about this. This is common talk. I've got to get out of here. And he flees. Moses goes and he leaves in the desert. The last thing maybe his mama saw after he was, had lived 40 years, was him leaving as a murderer. We're back. Um, leaving as a murderer. She sees him full of the image of God. He is leaving as a murderer, and he's gone for decades, four decades. He doesn't come back and do all the awesome stuff that God had for him until he's 80 years old. The Bible doesn't tell us when... Uh, we're just going to plow through, folks. Amen. The Bible doesn't tell us when she passes away, but more than likely, she passes before Moses turns 80 years old. She never gets to see with her eyes that image that got fulfilled. The last thing she knows is he's hiding in the desert accused of murder. That's the last thing she knows. But guess what? The plan of God got lived out. Whether she got to see it with her eyes or not, what she preserved, what she did, got lived out. Whether she got to see it or not. It is just, I, just, I just love that. <clears throat> um, Exodus 3, 15 says, And also, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you, this is his name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. When God is sending Moses back in there, he says, this is who I am, and I'm to be remembered from generation to generation. Moses' life got preserved. The previous generation carried him on. His job was to make sure the next generation's knew. Psalm 71 says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me. Oh, God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all <coughs> who are to come. Psalm 78 says, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he's done. He's decreed statutes for, <coughs> for Jacob, established the laws in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation will know them even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put 
their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. Our mission is wrapped up in there. That's why children's ministry is a big deal to us because we're to help people to know God better and to trust him more. And we're to decree to our kids the next thing. That's why there are those little questions at the bottom of your bulletin, Mom and Dad, because they're talking about Moses' parents right now. And then you can engage in a conversation with them. Why? Because it reaffirms that this stuff they're learning over there is not kid stuff, it's life stuff. And that if his mom and dad are learning it, then it's important too. That's why we work real hard to track along together. Why? Because it's a big deal. As we shut down here, I want you all to see this. This is just so cool. Some of you all, you Bible geeks like me, will enjoy this. Other of you are like, why does this even matter? And it's okay. I think you'll think it's cool. Um, Moses' daddy's name was Amram. Moses' mama's name is Jochebed. We only see that in Exodus chapter 6. as They're just rolling through some, a little short period of lineage right there. And so Amram, whenever you begin to look and see what their names mean, Amram, that's the first one, means a people or a flock. It's a, it's a conjunction. It's two Hebrew words put together, Am and Ram, or Rum or Rum or however you pronounce it. It's two Hebrew words put together. The first one is a people or a flock. The next one is to take away. Moses' dad, who would lead the people out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, sorry, out of Egypt and carry them into where they're supposed to go, he would take a people away. His daddy's name is a flock or a people to take away. That's his daddy's name. And look at Jochebed. Jochebed is also put together of two things, and her name means Yahweh is glory, or Jehovah is glory. So you have a flock and a people taken away, falls in love with Yahweh is glory. And Moses comes along, and guess what? He does. He lives out their names. He takes that people away, and God gets the glory. And it's just, and it's just beautiful, and it's just absolutely beautiful beautiful folks sometimes the assignment that on is on our lives and that we feel a heaviness for is to mentor those that come behind us and they will actually carry it to the next level okay we have to understand that sometimes sometimes we'll have vision for things we don't get to do but we train up our children and they get to do it we train up the next generation and they get to do it it's just and it's just beautiful that's why we have to be a people about discipleship and growing and mentoring Psalms 102, 18 says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Psalms 145, 4 says, One generation will commend your works to another and they will tell of your mighty acts. 2 Timothy, which we looked at last week, plays right into this. 2 Timothy 1, 5 says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. It's generation, generation, generation. Folks, that is what we are. And you say, hey, I don't know a whole lot of this stuff. I'm new to this whole church thing. You know what? All, you're, all you have to do is share what you know. That's it. You don't have to know all the answers. You have to be totally courageous enough to say, hey, little Johnny, wow, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's ask one of the leaders. Let's ask this. But this is what I do know. And you share what you do know. That's it. That's it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just share what you know. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. See, the life 
that God has for us must be lived by trusting that our life matters and that he loves us and will do for us what he says he will do. All this stuff in, on, in the Christian market about the purpose this and the purpose that, why is that such a big deal? Because our hearts are crying out for what is our purpose. Do I really matter? You matter. You matter so much. And when you begin to get a hold of that and begin to begin to roll with that and say, God, use me in whatever way you can, I'm telling you, our lives begin to have this huge, huge impact. And maybe we get to see it. I pray we all do. Or maybe, like Moses' parents, maybe not. Maybe just this knowing that it's going to be carried out. It's going to be carried out. Also, I want to encourage you, folks, that maybe you raised your, you're older and you raised your kids right. You raised them up. You've done this. You, and you say, Pastor Brandon, I did all that, and my kids aren't walking with God. I feel like a failure of this generation-to-generation thing. You silence that mess. I'm telling you, listen to me. You silence that. As your pastor, don't you let that enter your mind again. Why? Because you, you place those seeds in there. And it will produce. I don't care what it looks like right now. Moses' mama probably didn't like most of what she saw. But look at what God did in that guy's life. You hold on. You hold on. You stay with it. The truth has been sowed into their lives.